Hey everyone, welcome to episode 69, The Tattlebox. Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. And this is something I get in my email inbox quite a bit. And so instead of always responding the same way, because it's very difficult to respond to your questions that you have via email to respond via email because I have so many questions. I need to know how old your kids are. Is this an event or a pattern? Is it a boy or a girl? How many other people are in the family? Who else is living in the home? What's their temperament like? There's so many questions. It's not just one blanket answer. And so I hope that through this podcast, you take what I am saying, not as gospel, you take it, you bring it into your heart, you disseminate it, you make it your own, and then you apply it in your own life. So many of my emails that I get from all of you are the application process. So I know you like tangible things. So the tattle box is something very tangible that I used in my house and I used in my classroom and I used in my counselor office. And so I'm always thinking every single morning I'm waking up and saying, how can I say this clear? How can I say this message so it reaches the masses? How can I help? How can I serve? What are they struggling with? What's the problem? So I'm always quizzing you. I'm always asking you. You'd think I'm a game show host with all the questions that I ask you on Facebook, but it's so helpful because I like to get a cross-section of all the different things that you're working with and you're dealing with and your struggles and your pain points so then I can help you with your struggles and your pain points. But because there's so many out there that listen and all over the world and all different ages, I just want to remind you that no matter where you go, kids are kids are kids are kids. Your kids are my kids. My kids are your kids. My kids are special. Your kids are special. My kids aren't more special. They don't have unicorn blood. They're just like your kids. I've worked with your children in my classroom or in my office, directly and indirectly. So I think when we can all settle into the fact that there's nothing wrong with your children and there's nothing wrong with you, then you can take a big sigh of relief and know that you have been given the exact child you were meant to have and your child was given the exact parent that they were meant to have. That is freedom. Just that sentence right there, because then you're not thinking there's something wrong with them. There's something wrong with them. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. And when we think about that, then we're only going to find things wrong with ourselves and things wrong with our kids. Because when I'm looking for things wrong with me, I can find a lot of things, a lot, like scroll length, bring out the scroll. So when people say things about me that are unkind, I'm like, oh, I've already said that about myself. Yeah, I kind of can see that. Yeah, that's probably true. Or no, that's no, I don't have blue hair. So when you can drop your ego about how you feel about yourself and go into action versus using this content and this material to beat yourself up, then you can get super curious and not be so furious. I think that's my friend Shar who gave me that line. Just like if you were to have a rash, you want to get curious about why the rash is happening. Lily has one on her elbow right now. We're not mad at the rash. We're not angry at the rash. We're not angry at the food that she might have eaten to cause the rash. 
We're not angry at the grass that she might have rolled in to get the rash. We're not angry at the lotion that she might be using that's causing the rash. We're just super curious and we're not furious. Of course, we're not going to furious at lotion. So I want you to think the same thing when you're working with your kids. When you drop the furious, then you can get super curious. So I get a lot of emails about kids who tattle, and I know how irritating tattling can be because they're so focused on the other side of the street that they're not taking care of their side of the street. And this is normal. Kids want fairness. When they feel like there's a disparity, they will always let you know. When I was teaching, if they were on the wrong math page and they were six tables across, Johnny's not on page 27 and he needs to be on page 27, but I'm on page 27 because they want fair and they want equality. I'm going to do a whole episode about sibling rivalry, so I don't want to dive into that too deep, but something that really helps with tattling is something we call the tattle box. And I asked you on Facebook, and you are amazing, and this is why it's our podcast, because I could not do this without you. I'd just be sitting in the closet talking to myself if it wasn't for you and the listeners and you sharing this. Oh my goodness, when you share this on your stories and you tag me or on your Facebook posts or you forward the email, that warms my heart. That gives me the ability to push past the fear because every single week, you should see my kids. They're like, mom, get the podcast done. Come on, mom, let's go. And they make these little games with me because my brain just tells me all the things. Every single week, we're on episode 69 and the voices are still there. So whatever that thing is that you're expecting the voices to go away and then you'll do it, I promise on a stack of Bibles, the voice will never go away. You just have to coexist with the voice. And the voice doesn't mean any harm. You kind of talk to the voice like it's a little kid. It's okay. I know you're scared. I know you're trying to keep me safe, but we're going to do this anyway. That could be when you're making your bed. That could be when you're going to do your workout. That could be when you're going to record your podcast. That could be when you sit down to write the chapter in the book that you want to write. That could be on the vulnerable post you want to do. That could be on X, Y, Z, and it never goes away. You just kind of feel the fear and you do it anyway, over and over and over and over. So a lot of things that kids are tattling to you about are things like what the other one's doing wrong, siblings doing anything. They're three and six, so he hit me, she hears a lot. Breaking the rules, like bringing food into the carpet and hitting and biting. That's always fun. Uh, Tara says, an unpopular opinion, but I like when my son tattles. Let's me know everything that's going on that's under underneath that playground slide. I always taught my students and my kids too now that there's a difference between tattling and reporting. Reporting is if someone's causing physical pain. That is a no-brainer, off-the-table, deal-breaker. It's immediate reporting. Tattling is he's on the wrong page in math. That's tattling. So sometimes with my students, I would play the game of like, okay, is this tattling or reporting? And I would give examples and non-examples of both. And so you can kind of get your kids trained to understand the difference between tattling and reporting. And it's very, very, muy importante that you teach your children five very important words. On the first day of school, I would teach this to my students. Please stop. I don't like that. Or maybe that's six words if you throw in the word please. But teaching them how to stand up for themselves and make boundaries is very important because it's not like they're standing up to the bully. But if someone's doing something that makes their tummy hurt, we have to teach them lingo and language instead of the hitting, instead of the biting. Because the reason why they're screaming, hitting, biting is because they feel threatened. So when you can take that threatened feeling away where they are now empowered, they're going to choose things like saying, stop, I don't like that. And teaching them to say it in an assertive voice, not in a whiny voice. So you use examples and non-examples. The whiny would be like, stop, I don't like that. And crying and like yelling and throwing and hitting. 
or stop. I don't like that. That would be more of the hot voice. So we practice with the cold voice, which would be the whiny tone, and then with the hot voice, which is super angry. Those are non-examples. You want to do the non-examples, and then you also want to have your kids do the non-examples. Then you do the examples, and then you do the non-examples. Now, this isn't like, come here, boys and girls, I'm going to sit down and we're going to do a lesson and we're going to, you do it very casually and very on the go. You could do it in the car, playing a game. You act like the child, then they act like the child. You act like the grown-up, then they act like the grown-up. You know how fun that is for them? When they see mom acting like a little kid, be playful, be fun. Remember, there's a little girl and little boy living inside of you, and that's who your child is trying to connect with. Every child just wants to feel seen. They want to feel heard. They want to feel valued. They want to know that they're good enough. Just like we are in grown-up bodies, we want to know that we're good enough. So we have to let the kids know so they can live their life from that place versus always not feeling good enough. So a great way to drop sibling rivalry is to empower them and to teach them what to say when things get hot. You don't teach that during the hot moments. That's the rub. That's where people miss the mark. Because the proactive way of parenting is to teach it during role-playing, during your modeling, during your car rides. That's when you teach it in the calm waters. There is very little learning that can go on when they're feeling hot and when they're feeling cold. Yesterday, Lily was upset about something, and she was in the very, very cold. She was upset about a grade at school, and she was in the very cold section of her brain. And she didn't want me to come in and solve it and fix it. I just said, that's so frustrating. That must be so hard. I know. I can see you're upset. And like holding the space. But there was so many solutions. But it's kind of like when you're in a rush to get out the house, you can't think clearly. Your brain is so frazzled, and it's so convoluted that to think clearly and retrace your steps is next to impossible. So the same thing goes for when the kids are feeling in their hot or cold feelings. They can't think clearly. So offering up suggestions is not going to help. Offering up consequences, not going to help. It's going to make it worse. It's going to be gas on the fire. You can have those discussions later after they're out of the hot and cold moments when they've kind of cooled off and you've cooled off. During that time, you just have to be super comfortable seeing them uncomfortable. I know it seems counterintuitive. People tell me all the time, I don't want my kids to be a crybaby. I don't want them to cry all day. They cry at a drop of a hat. I don't want my boy to be a crybaby. And I can promise you the exact opposite will happen when you allow it, when you normalize it, when you make it okay. They will actually do it less because they're going to have more strategies. They're going to have something to pull from because you've taught them so much during the calm waters that when it gets hot and cold in their water, they'll be like, I have strategies. I can get out of this. I can help. I can." Or you just let it out. Have you ever been crying? You know what feels really good when you cry? To let it out. When you try to hold it in, it's like holding in a sneeze at church. You feel like your head's going to blow off your shoulders. Not a good feeling. The more we allow our kids to feel their feelings and get it out and not lecture and not give consequences during the storm, because everything is NBD, no big deal. Then they learn, oh, it's safe to be sad here. It's safe to be angry. You always want to work on changing the behavior, but never change the emotion. Because when we work on allowing the emotion, the behavior changes. It's like magic. So when I was teaching, I think I've told this story before, and I can say his name because it's not HIPAA or anything like that. This was probably around 1996, 1997. This little boy in my class, Mark Lichen, if you're out there, you are probably like in your 30s right now. You changed the trajectory of my entire life by one little sentence that you uttered underneath your breath. This was me teaching all day long. 
Boys and girls, stop calling out. Do your work. Stop talking. Stop pushing him. Stop running. You need to stop doing that. Who's talking? Literally, I was like a nagging Nelly. I was exhausted by the end of the day because all I was doing was nag. Stop. Have you ever played that game at Chuck E. Cheese, that whack-a-mole? It was like one would pop up, boom, knock it down. One would pop up, boom, knock it down. Over and over and over. I was being such a reactive teacher versus a proactive teacher. So I was in a reactive mode. And that is what's so exhausting about parenting is when we come at parenting from a reactive space versus a proactive space. The proactive space is when we get super curious and not get so furious. Because just like the kids can't think when they're in the hot and the cold zones, we can't think clearly when we're in the hot and cold zones. So we completely detach. We remember our children's behavior has nothing to do with us. They're having a human emotion and they don't know how to handle it. So they're looking at us as the flight attendant to show them what to do, how to be calm in their storm, how to normalize them. It's okay that they're not happy all the time. That one sentence, they don't have to be happy all the time, was like a eureka moment. So Mark Lycan was sitting at his desk and he said under his breath, a simple one sentence that changed everything for my teaching, for my life, and how I parent. That's pretty profound. When he wasn't even talking to me, he said, I feel like she's always mad at us. And I was like, whoa, drop the mic. Drop the mic, Mark. Are you kidding me? I felt horrible, but not horrible in a place of like beating myself up. Horrible of like, thank you for waking me up to my negative, nonsensical, incessant nagging. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be nagged. Your kids are just like us. They don't like to be nagged. They don't like to be reminded. They don't like to be repeated. They like to have the reins to their life as early as possible. So you give them to them. You give them their reins to their life as early as possible and as developmentally appropriate as possible. But we have to let go of the need to feel needed. So we said that and I went home that day and I thought, oh my goodness, can you imagine if these precious babies who were six years old, not really babies, go home and tell their parents that they feel like their teacher is mad at them all the time? That is horrendous. I don't care if they're reading on the ninth grade level when they leave my classroom. The way they feel in my classroom is much more important. The way they treat each other, much more important. Their social and emotional health trumps everything because if you have your social and emotional health, then the reading and the writing and the math comes so much easier. So the next day I said, this is enough. I flipped the switch. Remember, without my management, your brain will seek pleasure, avoid pain and be efficient. And it will have 60,000 thoughts a day. And without my management, 80% of those thoughts will be negative. 90 to 95% of those thoughts will be unconscious thoughts, which means you thought them so many times, your brain's like, yeah, baby, let's go. Let's keep thinking those thoughts. But that is a lose-lose. So the next day, I walked in and I focused on everything that they were doing right. Thank you, Diane, for sitting on your bottom. Wow, Mark, look how nicely you're walking in line. You must be so proud of yourself how well you're studying those spelling words. And on and on and on and on it went. So when I started looking for all the good that they were doing in the classroom, I found more of it. And then they were finding in each other. And the tattling dropped significantly. And so I said, you know what? Tattling isn't all that bad. Because I want you all to tattle on your friends. And they looked at me like I had 17 heads. I'm like, yes, this is what we call the tattle box. And I brought it out like all dramatic. I'm like, bum, 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 the tattle box. And in this box, I want you to write down all the things that you see your friends doing that is awesome. I want you to tell me when they hold open the door. I want you to tell me when they help you figure out a word, when you drop a crayon and they pick it up, when they share their crayon. When you fall down on the playground and they go get you a tissue, I want to know all of it. I want to know everything that happens underneath the slide, all the good. So not only was I focusing on the good, but I was teaching them to look for the good within each other. So then that tattle box 
was filled to the rim. And sometimes my students who weren't writing yet, they couldn't write all the words. So they would just write a picture of a slide. They would just draw a picture of a slide. And I said, oh, what's this all about? And they said, oh, that was, um, there was a lot of sand on the slide. So they swept it off for me. I was like, what? They did what? And this is my actions and this is my reaction. And so I am acting so shocked and so proud and so surprised and so impressed that their faces light up. So your tone is everything to our kids. Everything. 93% of your language to them is nonverbal. 7% they actually hear. So emotions are very, very tangible. So remembering that when you're talking to your kids and when you're talking about your kids, we always say in our house that we want to tattle on each other and we want to gossip about each other. We try to take regular words that have negative connotations and we try to flip them. Like in the classroom, we'd say you can only tattle if it's something awesome that they're doing. And you can gossip about your friends, but it has to be something nice, something kind. So then I would read the tattle and I would compliment the person who did the good deed and then also compliment the tattler. So tattling was actually encouraged because we flipped the switch. And then what happened over time was not only was I looking for it, but they were looking for it within each other. They knew that they were going to get reinforced for that and how it made them feel. And then the person that they were tattling on was going to get reinforced and how it made them feel. Remember, emotions are in the driver's seat. So you always want to compliment your child and reinforce your child about how good it made them feel. This will change your life. Instead of saying, I'm so proud of you, you say, you must be so proud of yourself. You must feel like such a good speller. You must be so impressed with yourself. You must be impressed with how hard you're working. And on and on and on. It doesn't mean you can't compliment your kids and say that you're proud of them and that you're impressed with them and that you're inspired by them and they're a role model to you. You can say all that. Just sprinkle in the other stuff too. Maybe do it 50-50 or 60-40 or 90-10, whatever you feel comfortable with. What it does is it strengthens their inner voice to do the thing because it feels good to do the thing instead of because mom's watching, the teacher's watching, I'm getting the A for that external validation. They're doing it for the internal validation. And so the way this worked in the classroom with 20 students is the same way it can work in your home. You don't necessarily have to have a tattle box or you can have a tattle box. You can encourage it within your siblings. We used to do show and tell for our kids on Sundays to start off the week. And after show and tell, whoever was sitting in Hutchison hot seat, we would go around. The person sitting in the Hutchison hot seat would say one thing they loved about themselves because we're trying to increase self-love and what they love about themselves and what they're proud of for themselves. And then we would go around the room and we would say one thing that we love about that person. And it had to be something specific that they did that week. So it was almost like tattling. And the things that they would say about each other, when they heard the compliment, and when I sometimes hear the compliment, what they're saying about me, I'm like, huh, I didn't even know that mattered. I didn't even know that made a deposit in your love cup. So it reinforces it for the person to do the thing, but then it also tells the person who's sitting in the Hutchinson hot seat, that made me feel good, and that was awesome. Can you do more of that? So the tattle box is a way to flip the switch, and I will say the number one way to drop sibling rivalry or to lower it, where they get along most of the time, not all of the time is once you become a conscious parent and the way that you interact with one child, the other person is always picking it up through osmosis. They are picking up unconsciously and subconsciously and their absorption rate is very high. So they're saying to themselves, I'm not sure what to do when my sibling frustrates me, so I'm gonna see what mom does when that said sibling frustrates mom. Even if they're not involved, even if they're in the other room, you set the tone for how we roll when there's conflict, when they're in the hot zone, when they're in the red zone, when they're in the cold zone. But we have to learn it first. And that is where our kids can teach us where we need to grow because 
in that pause between their action and our reaction is everything that you need to learn. Everything where we need to grow is always in that pause. And in that pause is our greatest gift because that's where we can see the stories that we're telling ourselves. That's where we can see where our ego is flaring up. That's where we can see the sentences that we're telling ourselves, like all children should be happy or all children should behave. All children should listen to what I say. All children should be robots just like I was. All children should get stuff done and be motivated and be responsible. Think about the expectations we put on our kids. They have to be happy, grateful, responsible, clean their rooms, get everything done, never have a negative emotion, do their chores, balance their electronics, be nice to their sister, be nice to the dog, not climb on couches. And it goes on and on and on, all the expectations we have. And that's okay to have the expectations. Just drop the story about what it means about you if it doesn't happen. So whatever that sentence is, flip the switch and you'll see how similar that you are. When they don't want to clean their room, huh, I know how that feels. I don't want to clean the kitchen. When they don't want to be nice to their sibling, huh, I know how that feels. Sometimes I don't want to be nice to my husband. And it goes on and on when you can flip it and be like, oh, I'm just like that. That's amazing. Thank you for helping me teach that and create consciousness around that. And then you drop the story and you create an environment within your home where you're looking for the good. Whatever you tell your brain to focus on, it will always find evidence of. I was at the beach today and there was a man there with a metal detector at the beach looking for gold. And he was like, ding, 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 with his little thing and his little headphones on. It was so cute. And that is the way our brain works. If we tell our metal detector to look for gold like that man was, it will find gold. If we tell it to look for seaweed, it'll find seaweed. It works all the time. It works with me. There's seaweed and there's gold within me. There's seaweed and there's gold within your children. There's seaweed and there's gold within your spouse. There's seaweed and there's gold within your dog. There's seaweed and gold in everybody, in ourselves. So when we look for the gold, we'll find more of it and the seaweed will kind of just wash away. So get your metal detectors out, start tattling on each other, Start gossiping about each other, but flip the switch and look for the good things. And when you find good, you will only find more. And then you'll train your brain and you'll find more and more and more. And it just won't stop. I'll talk to you guys next week. I love you. Bye-bye. Hey, mamas. Thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting boot camp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really wanna fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.